surprised me that this movie ha- did not make a billion dollars. Like, I'm just looking at the fucking box office of it. it made half a billion dollars, but, like... Half a billion, but not a billion? Yeah, like, I don't know why. My, I, I feel like I expected it to make a lot more money. War movies aren't exactly, like... That they used like, to be though. They, they used, used to be, be huge. Early two well, thousands. Well, back when like, like Saving Private Ryan came out, like I think that was the nineties or whatever. But like, yeah, but culturally, you think about like the Iraq War and like what we did in Afghanistan. Yeah. There's not really too many people that are like hoorah war anymore. Um, so like war movies in general aren't that. Well. They're not in flavor anymore. They're no, not in they're style. Not. They're not. Yeah. Not at all. But this not really. Well, Dunkirk definitely not being like a Afghanistan Iraq war movie. This is no definitely more of a I don't know classical war movie in a sense. World War Two. I wouldn't even say it's a classical war, like classical in the sense that yeah, World War Two is a classical war maybe or a period. But as far as war movie goes, I would say this is like a non typical, like very non classical war movie when you compare it to other world like war, especially World War Two based movies. Uh, are we in? Are we recording right now? I'm recording. Yeah, yeah, we are. I'm recording. Okay, cool. Okay, welcome <laughs> to the Mythic Morons podcast. Uh, I'm Sid, and Cheney is also here, right? Correct. I am present. Yep. yep. And, By the way, uh, I was that kid in, in in high school. I said present when the when the teacher when the supply called, called your name. Yeah. yeah. Present. And they always butchered my name oh, every really? time. Okay. Every well, yeah, it's an easy name to butcher. So they butchered name. your name, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I mean, if my name was just name, sit on the my massacred. My, my name was my name was not the uh, fucking sit like short form in the attendance. I got the full oh. long form thing going on there. So yeah, yeah. But why? Would, what would they call you in the attendance? Oh, just like Matthew. They, tr- they tried the last name. I don't know why they even tried. Why? Yeah, I've never heard like the full first name last name situation. I, I guess maybe because it's a you have you have a common first name maybe so like, yeah there's multiple G. mats in my class many times so mm-hmm. so yeah common problems first world common problems, problems. speaking yeah. of problems um, World War Two was a problem yeah, yeah it was a big <laughs> <laughs> transition into the discussion of the hour now what were you gonna say what was your transition there uh, that the the French and the English got pushed back to the coast of Dunkirk. Yeah, okay, nice. Uh that was that was a problem. Seemed like a problem as soon as the movie started. Mm-hmm. Um there's a reason I wanted to watch this movie in particular cuz this isn't really like your typical Christopher Nolan film, although it has all of like Nolanisms within it. Um yep. This is not like what he normally does. He um this is him existing outside the realm of Gotham and outside the realm of science fiction. Mm-hmm. For like not the first time but like it, it, when when he was in a very prominent position for the first time when he could mm-hmm. go up to Warner Brothers and like just slap his dick on the desk dick reference for the week and just go like I want to make a World uh, War 2 movie are you going to give me fucking hundreds of millions of dollars and because it's Chris Nolan they said yeah so um, I don't know there's something weird about like when you go through his filmography you got all these science fictions and crazy concept movies, then you just have this uh, historical movie about one event during World War Two, which, granted, is a pretty crazy event if you think about it. Yeah, it's a. I guess like the reason he even chose it was because it's an event that's not like maybe I don't know if celebrated is the right word, but like fully recognized as uh, as a uh, such a you know feat of 
human accomplishment in a way like for the, i've heard like you know from the british british people perspective and like british history or whatever it's, it's well regarded but like not in the world's sort of memory when people think of world war Two, you think of other things so or at least i did I'll, I'll talk personally about that like i didn't know much about dunkirk as a as a situation that you know it what that it was before this movie sort of came out so no and i think that's part of the reason why you wanted to do this like you said for sure just to get the word out there and like i had no idea what dunkirk was before i watched this movie back in 2017 and uh yeah you get a great sense theaters too it was awesome oh in theaters was like the fucking like any chris nolan movie (laughs) it's just the best to watch in theaters but like you get a sense while watching this movie that there's like national pride with this one. Oh my with like, god, yeah. Dude, I, I wanted to be British after watching this oh, movie. Oh yeah. I'm like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, for sure. There was like a sense of like, wow. That's a that's a that's a sick thing, man. <laughs> yeah. That they did there. Like super super lame way to put it, but that's I was uh, grasping at straws too. I was just sitting on my couch I'm like, I'm Canadian, we're part of the Commonwealth. Yeah, we're kinda okay. there. I mean, yeah. you know, the British ruled India too, so I'm like I'm fifty fifty. I don't know. I know, I know. I I was gonna say you might have some uh I did in have a bit of, of conflicting nature with, yeah. with the British, but uh, like thinking about it, I was like, damn, these guys did colonize my people, but like, they're cool in Dunkirk. <laughs> There's something weird about like, when you think of patriotism, like within today, like because America is like this gigantic media presence, this gigantic pop culture presence, like when you say the word patriotism, that's what comes to mind is like rah, rah America. Mm-hmm. But like, Patriotism also exists in other realms, other countries, obviously. And there's something, like, particular about British patriotism that's just, like, so quaint and dapper. And it's just like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. You guys are actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's a bit low-key, I guess. It's not like, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, patriotism, when you think about it, you think, like, first thing in mind is, like, American patriotism, which is, like, loud, like, flamboyant, very show-off, like, pride sort of thing and yeah like british patriotism like this sort of like history of it yeah stoic is a good way to put it it's sort of quiet it's sort of like not as maybe i don't know they the history of british people maybe is a bit it's a bit uh like conflicting with some people i don't know but like maybe that's why like it's not you know people don't have the full scope of understanding maybe i don't know but movies like this uh illuminate just a a great depth of history like the feats of accomplishment you know yeah oh i know um oh you know oh i know uh but enough about like patriotism and and, yeah i mean that that's definitely a theme in this movie but there's uh this is like when i was saying this is a war movie not of the classical or traditional type it's like what i meant by that is that you don't have a like primary focus in a protagonist or one situation that is like uh has to be resolved you get like the event that is the primary conflict and Mm -hmm. it sort of spans you know it it, it's kind of non the story is told non-linearly but you get the scope of like weeks of uh, of, of an event that is taking unfolding and taking place so and through that you have like multiple viewpoint perspectives multiple point of view characters instead of like one protagonist or a few protagonists and like 
you know, you said this, you said this was the second time you watched it and I've seen it like after the theaters, I thought about it. Like this is a bit like different, a bit harder to like, maybe follow for a movie like with this big of a scope because you don't have that primary focal length, I guess that primary focal point of view, but over rewatches, I know you, you mentioned this, you know, just in text conversation that there's a different, there's a like a greater grasp of the story and like that mm-hmm. scope is is just I don't know but you better understood yeah um, when I was in, in theaters for the first time I was confused as to what was going on like wait wait one week one day one hour what does that uh-huh. mean what does that mean and um, as well that's sort of the, one of the normalisms is like as the movie goes on it just sort of naturally reveals itself to you um, in like the most natural way possible I don't know like just three shots in a row just make you go oh i get it yeah we're, we're his, talking about different timelines and they're all sort of like converging onto one point yeah his like his ability to like visualize multiple planes of action that are completely non-linear like not happening in parallel to each other but in or, or in some cases they are parallel to each other but like some cases in vastly different time periods yet he can still edit them in a way that you know makes sense to us as an audience might take a couple rewatches but it definitely makes sense and um yeah just his ability to sort of have that bird's eye view over the story is like that's one thing i just like it's like the trait of his that makes me that makes him one of my favorite filmmakers just of all time like he has that like god's eye view over these stories and is able to present them amazing like just in amazing ways um right if you think about it like (laughs) this movie linearly would have been a good movie by itself but sure, yeah. the fact that he was able to create like this triple branching storyline that's told from multiple different perspectives at different timelines that are all converging into one point, you go, oh, wait, this isn't just a good movie. This is a fucking great movie. It's an epic. Like, yeah. it, you know, like not to use the word lightly, but that's what it is. You get, you know, you get like a firstly a great cast of stars and just like also unknown faces that i think like that really makes the movie uh authentic in a way too you know like it's just it's you're not like filling the battlefield with known actors but these look like these look like these can be your neighbors or like you know people you grew up in with school and i think that's the point is that these are just young kids who found themselves in war and are trying to like survive and um the rare occasions that you see like a killian murphy or a tom hardy or somebody that like brings that star power it, like it actually enforces like the whole themes of the film and the tensions and the drama like i think like it, it doesn't overdo it and make it too hollywood so i think like even the casting like every level of the film for me is just solid yeah um and like even the stars that he does use like you said uh killian murphy and tom hardy are in this movie obviously it's a chris nolan movie although yeah. killian murphy or tom hardy weren't in tenet Right? uh that's correct that's correct i think that's like yeah one of the first like non-tom hardy chris nolan like collaborations so unless there's like a, a, a secret voiceover that's just in the background you never know no like, even Mike, michael kane michael kane is in this movie but he's like not in this movie at the same time wait what yeah i bet you didn't catch that no i didn't he's uh he's like an air force leader um like he just has a voiceover but like i think he's just like the leader of tom hardy's air force squad. oh really oh yeah. wow that's hilarious oh i didn't get yeah, it's that. pretty sick that is sick um i was gonna say like if killian murphy was in tenant like 
no one would make sure to get a shot of his eyes because apparently oh, he's true. obsessed yeah. with his baby blues or something oh yeah to a substantially possibly creepy degree um <laughs> Did you see the audition, like, where Killian Murphy was auditioning for the Batman role? Yeah, it was a little... That's weird. That was a weird one. Him as Bruce? I could buy. I couldn't buy it. I, I he was thinking, up. like, he... If he bulked up, but, like, I... That would be a drastic bulk up. Like, I, don't, I can't visualize that. But, I mean... Yeah, I, 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 I could see, like, him thinking the Scarecrow, because I was more terrified than, like... like oh, that's that's a cool man that's a bruce wayne character right there like i was like whoa and it was the eyes i was like just I was piercing eyes but anyways um yeah. yeah anyways um what was i gonna talk about i don't know what were you, what were, where <laughs> were you going with that the casting the casting um, oh yeah casting oh yeah relatively unknown unknown characters and that's another thing yeah. i like about this movie is like the character is important like when this movie is called dunkirk it's because it's about mm-hmm dunkirk and dunkirk. that's the important thing right yeah um the characters are it's not really about there. any one character yeah yeah they're not really there to be like and yeah there's like mini arcs and whatnot of course you have to have some sort of character arcs within the story but like characters are mostly there as a means for us to have an excuse to follow them along through this event because that's what mm-hmm. it is it's an event so um and that's usually not my cup of tea but mm-hmm. Um, the way this film is shot, like if we're going off of, um, you know, what films I could have every single frame as a painting of, this is up there. Um, oh yeah, it's fucking incredible, and I, I I think someone put it, I saw someone put it online beautifully. It's like Chris Nolan's cinematography in this movie is so good that you can practically yeah. smell what's coming off the screen. It's Amazing. You can feel that sand on the beach, like literally. Um, it's it's, I it's it, it's indescribable. Yeah, I just I like I was thinking about it while watching it this like just this time like. There's such a, like, a captured moment, and and like I think that's just like the fact he, you know, he literally uses film and was one of like it's rare, it's a rare tool nowadays. But I think like the way he uses it and i feel like some of the shots he pulls off are like literally like just impossible shots like putting the camera on a on a sinking boat like some of those shots were just incredible but the overall aesthetic the color uh like the bleach tone the the grain the fucking dirt that just like it's everywhere it, it it all just makes such a like a beautiful image like you said like every frame is a painting in that in that way and also right. like i want to say this is like as far as visual imagery goes like this from opening frame to like i think like the first 30 40 minutes you don't hear <clears throat> much dialogue like at all really and if you want to consider like the first act or whatever like there's not much dialogue and you're carried through the story through the visual imagery alone and like the editing the pace the score sound design like there's so many like honestly i was thinking about it like you can write an essay like i would definitely want to write an essay on this movie because there's so many layers of interpretation and just to digest um this is like truly like when you think about cinema like this movie is cinema because like the way he uses the audio and visual components of like cinematography audio design it just all comes together to like evoke tension uh feelings of like fear you know like from the opening shots of uh you know the like the 
the army soldier sort of like first in a state of calm but then as soon as the the bullets are firing then that erupts into a chaos and like you know that's it's all just like a tense moment from the beginning of the film so like that uh, yeah i don't know it's uh it's not something he always kind of it's not like a, a signature trait of his like but this movie especially just like it's him flexing those cinematic muscles to the fullest mm-hmm. i think like even tenet when you think about it it's like all the spectacle of that is <clears throat> amazing and groundbreaking but uh this is almost like a silent film in that regard for much of it yeah so, yeah that's a good contrast because like when i think of tenet i think of yeah spectacle but i also think of x uh you know explanatory dialogue a lot of it yeah a lot uh, of that yeah yeah a lot of dialogue yeah, this is completely this polar is polar like, opposite to that i'm like why couldn't he do some of this there and mm. this isn't going to be turned into a criticism of Tenet. It's just more of a praise of this movie because you're right. This yeah. is this is like like no dialogue is needed. Like credit to the fucking actors because they goddamn yeah, great it. performances uh, all around. Like with with what little they had to work with, they fucking did great. I think like Harry Styles had the most lines in this fucking movie. That's yeah, <laughs> one of the characters that like you never saw coming to be like a standout role in the in this film. You know, um, uh, characters in this movie do have names. I don't know if they're spoken though. I, I yeah, I, I was thinking about that. I was like naming them in my own my own head because I couldn't figure out like how many times their names were like. And I some of them had it very the point, ob- obviously, but but yeah, exactly. It's almost like these characters are just uh, you know, like faceless men in a way. Like I'm like throwing back to the Game of Thrones reference there, but like you know, it, it's like an everyday man. It can be anybody, and I think that's sort of the point with like the lack of a singular protagonist um and and you know you were saying that this film dunkirk it's about dunkirk then all these characters point and are, are like enforcing the themes and the event of the of dunkirk um i also think you know these characters are are just a a way to like really show something about humanity you know if, if like this is in a way chris nolan sort of exploring in the situation of war in the situation of losing a war and and retreating and loss you know and and having to survive needing to survive like this the difficult choices people have to come to make the um just like all of the tension that's created through that chaos i think it's explored so um so in-depthly through the vast point of view characters you know I, I was thinking about it like there's sort of a subversion of expectation where in a war movie you're likely to get the young uh soldiers to be your hero type of characters and there's lots of young stars in this movie um but it's sort of the older a-list cast that is in my point of view in this viewing i had i realized were the actual heroes as like just you know as men as uh mm-hmm. um Mark Rylance's character, Mr. Dawson. I'm just looking at the IMDb. I didn't even know that was his name, but I, I don't think it was said in the movie. But um, he was the captain of the little ferry that crossed the English Channel, and him and his son and George ferried bunch of soldiers back, and basically just civilians sac- sacrificing their lives for a greater cause. And I think like that, that along with Tom Hardy's character, obviously um, Kenneth Branagh's character, who was the commander on the on the mole on the you know deck ensuring soldiers were making it out these all are characters that sort of stand for like the best in humanity in a way and like that's just reflected through their actions um i do like that you pointed out like 
the the young war type sort of um, archetypal heroes with these war movies don't really exist. Like these are boys, and yeah, um, it's much more realistic to see boys shitting themselves yeah, in war. Far you know, like, more far more relatable. I was like, oh yeah. yeah, these guys are scared. Guess what? I would be too. Have you For seen sure. the situation they're in? Have you? Nobody s- was trying to be a hero or step out of their like the comfort zone and have that heroic journey or like that moment. Like, you know, like there was, there was little moments of doing what it takes to survive. And in, in the course of that, you save somebody's life or, you know, you look out for your fellow man, which I think that just goes against with the theme of, that goes again with the theme of humanity and like, um, and our connection to like each other and stuff like that. But yeah, like there, that's like, yeah, nobody's a hero. Nobody's here to be a hero in, in that sense. It's like, I don't know, not, not that, but like the hero the heroic aspect of it is not it's not like outwardly it's it's more character based it's more like um yeah i don't know i don't know where i was going with that actually i don't know where you're going with that either but um i just wanted to point out like how easy it was to grasp onto like the younger especially for me and probably for you too like the younger war boys of this story because like they're doing what i would do um, regardless of dialogue, yeah. regardless of names, like they would go, oh, I'm Tommy and I'm from uh, Yorkshire and this is my mom and I want to get back to her. You didn't need any of that. You just knew like these are young boys just trying to survive in a situation they have no control over. Yeah. Um, it, it is, and it's through them that you really see the vein like uh, of of how hellish war can be and it's often brought up throughout the movie like you know we're the old guys but like we're sending our kids to die here um and i thought that was very impactful by chris nolan to like use these younger kids in a non-typical way and and to have them be cowards um, rightfully so um have them try to escape and just try to survive um and it even says at the at the end of the movie like all we did was survive and the old guy's like that's good enough yeah because like think that. about what they're going through it was like holy yeah. shit you're i right. love that like when they're back there they're almost like f- afraid that the people are gonna hate them for in their point of view maybe looking at it at looking at it as running away or losing the fight when yeah it's like that that summarized the whole movie which is like no you survived you're like here to fight another day and it's okay like come have a cup of tea and wake up in the morning in a fresh bed and fight tomorrow keep on fighting like there's a that's like part of the quietness maybe of like that you know that british legacy kind of coming out there where it's like just that resilience you know uh to keep on fighting or whatever that that sort of summarized there in the end mm-hmm. um you touched on some of the cinematography and like the color used. <clears throat> i want to like talk about how smartly he contrasted like camera movement um color grading um between the three different scenarios so the land sea and air if you notice like each of those scenarios have slightly different colors associated with them like sure. so with with the land stuff on dunkirk beach like you get more grays and um like basically just grays um like the sand is gray, the sky is gray, everything's fucking gray around there. Um, with the air, it's all bright blues, oceans, yellows with the sun, and then with the uh, 
the sea people it's it's all browns and sort of burgundies um mm. it, and it's just i don't know i just find it really interesting that he like he purposely contrasted each scenario and in a way um i was like oh wow he's really smart because as i was watching i sub like i brought up from my subconscious into my regular thought I'm like oh i know where i am right now just because of the colors yeah which is like, yeah that's sort of the purpose of that i guess is just yeah. to create that visual distinction and have it easier to follow but in the, even with those different tones of colors like there's like the softness of the blues and the browns and uh the yellows like the, the like lack of saturation maybe unsaturated kind of film that they use it it creates such a like a oneness to the whole film like it's not too it's not too uh contrasty i guess um it's a it's a it's the right level of contrast i guess it's not like yeah it's not jarring like it's not, it's like not I'm, jarring i'm not saying it's a huge difference between huge difference between the shots but there's like a noticeable difference a subtle noticeable difference Mm-hmm. There's there's beauty into subtlety. Um, he also did similar things with the camera movement, like at mm-hmm. sea. Whenever you're at sea, like I don't think he ever stopped shaking the camera. Oh yeah, and it, yeah. It, it fucking made me nauseous, and that's the fucking. I guess the point. Um, yeah, everything Just unsettling up in, and like, and and it puts you sort of in that position of like you could drown. Like you know, realistically, this is a a sketchy situation when you have a boat coming towards you, or like you know you're about to be lit on fire because of the oil surrounding you like that the the handheld it just plays a great effect there um even like within the ships whenever you went whether it's the small ships or the large ships whenever you're inside a ship i don't know what it is i don't know how he did it but everything just seemed to shrink like he just everything's a close-up now Mm -hmm. every like it's just cramped and he just makes you feel cramped when you should um this movie really played into like i don't have severe claustrophobia but like i have it enough to where like i was like oh this is making me pretty uneasy in a lot of situations oh yeah the scene when uh they're locked in in the i want to see that when they're when they're like first they're rescued when like harry Mm -hmm. styles and um his companions tommy i guess his name is um and whatever his companions are thinking they're saved by the nurse ship they're getting fed bread and they have their life jackets on and you know tommy's smart enough to realize like find the exit stay close to the exit but the second that water breaches through and you lose sight of them you lose sight of everything and and it's just sort of all disorienting and chaotic like how are you feeling in that situation it that, was was, that was that was yeah and, like, and i'm not like- i'm not i'm not one of those guys where i would get like queasy in that but yeah like that handheld played into the almost like a motion sickness sort of thing there's a there's the cherry on top of like the anxiety cake that he baked Mm. with that scene and like when you just see him like getting kicked in the head by people around him like kicked Mm -hmm. and hit by people around him i was like that's just the fucking worst like he didn't need to add that but he did because of course it's just like he adds like such little things to those big scenes to make them even that much worse when you just like sitting back and you're like oh this is really bad and you see him just get booted in the head like oh yeah. this is really bad but um and even with that ship sinking scene like another like i don't i think i can point out so many little camera things he did but, like the way he like he used tilt with that 
with that ship sinking scene. Like, yeah. Are, um, are you talking about when like the cameras like tilting with the ship? It's sort of mounted on the ship, and the water is coming in from the one side, pinning the soldiers with the ship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm, I feel like. Some of the shots are like impossible to pull off with human beings, a crew, like the logistics of it. Yet he pulls them off. I mean, we're talking about the guy that flew a real Boeing jet into an into a aircraft hangar. Yes, that guy. So anything is possible. Apparently, that was cheaper. I don't know how. Yeah, that well, that's what you have to tell a studio to get it done. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's so many good shots I want to talk about. I want to talk about like, in total, like my favorite combination of shots, and like, that's just got to be the dogfight scenes. I don't know what it is about Ooh. them. They're not like yeah. glorious or glamorous, like Top Gun scenes. They're fucking just rough and gritty dogfights like how they ought to be i'd say mm-hmm. like there isn't like oh come on come on i got him in my sights it's like he's just pulling the trigger every once in a while like trying to hoping to get him because i guess yeah. that's how it was back in the day. and even when like you know you get that in the reticle sort of point of view shots of of the planes flying through the reticle you feel the like you feel that trigger being pulled like you feel the instinct of of you know tom yeah, hardy yeah. I know exactly in the motions of fighting like it's and i think that just goes with the editing sort of and the meticulous shot like um uh like just shot to edit like just how how he must have mm-hmm. visualized each shot in succession of each other and sort of like building to a scene like I, everything is so purposeful and leading to Tom Hardy pulling that trigger and like you said it's never it's not so chaotic where it's bullets firing everywhere you get the sense also bullets are a resource in this situation like fuel you know oh, yeah. uh, I like how they, they made that evident also like he's losing fuel throughout the entire situation and and with that you get the idea that obviously bullets must be on res- like on a resource level like that's important too mm-hmm. and um yeah, he's using them very like cautiously and and using them efficiently. Um, Tom Hardy's just fucking sick in this movie. What can I say? But uh, yeah, like good good point there. It's um, it's the right type of dogfighting. I feel like mm-hmm. it's like the realistic yet cinematic and beautiful style of filming aircrafts. Like I don't know. I found and myself he, just sitting yeah. back and like, whenever I wanted Tom Hardy to pull the trigger, he pulled the trigger. And there's something yeah. like so magical about that, like this constant positive reinforcement for the audience. Like, and I, I don't know how he, like, like you said, it's like with the timing of his shots and the timing of a cut, of, of his cuts, it's just so perfect where you're like, okay, pull the trigger and then Tom Hardy. Pulls it's the so trigger meticulous. Like, yeah. It's so, it's so well-crafted. And here's a little like detail that sort of under, under, you know, scores the entire film from the beginning. There is, whoa, my Google home just randomly fucking did something that's always scary but um chris nolan wants you to send a resume yeah seriously fuck (laughs) i hope so um what was i saying man i was saying something about planes planes planes. yeah um shot composition timing meticulousness yeah yeah okay eh, fuck google ruined my brain ruined my train of thought but um yeah something about the meticulousness of the composition he yeah, I completely lost my train of thought. They're trying to think about it. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll try to yeah, we'll, it we'll, we'll roll back to it. But um, um, yeah, it was, swing, it's, it's well done. Swinging back to the, uh, the fuel thing. Um, yeah. 
that is like such a I know it like plays into the end of the movie. Oh, like the I do know what I was talking about now. Sorry. Okay, Sorry, I didn't ahead, mean to cut you off. No, no, no. If you were in the middle of something. No, I wasn't. I was just trying to roll us back. You go ahead. Okay, you... I'll bring you back to the fuel. But um, there's an underscore uh, that he does, which is in the sound design particularly, there's a ticking clock. And I'm sure you notice it a couple times. Oh, yeah. You know, the ticking. Uh, yeah, it's just like, it's like a stopwatcher, like an old school um pocket watch or something that's just constantly ticking and that literally doesn't stop at any point like until uh like harry styles and tommy are in the train right at the end then you can visually hear the ticking stop um and that's like sort of i guess when they're just relaxed finally like they have a second to breathe but in like there's moments where he stretches the like tempo out like really wide really distant ticks and i think like like that's what I mean. This is like pure cinema where the the shot kind of composition, uh, sorry, the editing composition where it's just like slowly building up to that moment where Tom Hardy is shooting. It's like reinforced even more by the tick. So he's subconsciously making you like almost like in sync to the actions with the cut and the music. But anyways, that was long-winded way of, of bringing up the... Um, the clock that ticking. ticking thing the clocking yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know if like that's a a well-known thing but yeah i was like whoa i know yeah, like it's were... obviously prominent in many areas throughout the movie mm-hmm. i didn't you said it it goes in throughout i don't know if i know throughout that. yeah so that yeah so it's it's like highlighted at certain points but then when you when you like really key in on that particular sound it fades down but it never fades away it just fades into a really slow tick or like a a longer tick like not a fast beat tick oh, so it, okay. it's just constant like that that just constantly builds even more for tension um right up until the end and then you get like a silence for like the last few seconds of the film um but yeah there's d- another way of like just building tension and yeah yeah speaking of tension building like mm-hmm. the fuel thing no swing yeah. back to that um i know it plays into the end of the movie but the fact that he establishes it like right away like first couple minutes of plane flying like um you have that first dogfight, and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah here's the new real problem um, yeah you you guys are gonna run out of fuel and that's not something like I, I think is that prominent in um like war movies like the the logistics of being able to sustain a battle yeah um, yeah i mean i love those kind of details when they are presented in films but you're right it's no, it's it's like it's like not often done i guess yeah so credit to chris nolan for actually making me care about a movie where fuel loss is a prominent uh, well anything can be a drama right like yeah anything if if it's sort of done well i guess like you can present anything as a drama so i guess you didn't yeah uh, i guess you didn't take hear that jab at last jedi but hey (laughs) i like to get them in every once in a while yeah Um, that's almost like a cornerstone of the show now it's just last jedi fucking punching bag yeah um but yeah i could you think of any other examples where like just um something is presented to the audience just to like help build that anxiety yeah so one would be the taking um more to that i think oh okay this is something i definitely wanted to get into the um another one of the nolanisms which is one of like my favorite cinematic storytelling devices is like his uh, his use of cross cutting essentially 
Um, and like th- that's what this whole film is based on, or um, basically utilizing. Could you which explain is, what cross cutting is? Yeah, so cross cutting is like when there are parallel events happening, um, either non linearly or like in different different settings, and the editing brings you back and forth from those situations, um, and it's like just ramps up the tension, like both the A plot or the B plot or the A story and the B story are sort of building up and um, crescendoing at, at a similar point um, in the in the cross cut um, and Chris Nolan sort of does that with three the, like the three pro- plot lines constantly in this movie the air dog fighting sequences with the uh, the the sea rescue with the you know just surviving on the beach he is constantly cutting in between these events um and in like random ways but in ways that become obvious to you whether it's through like motifs or through just like the themes or whatever and so like yeah let me just get into that so uh there's like so many times and like this is just like one of his it's something he uses in a lot of his films which is just to like build up tension um through just showing the characters going through going through the shit like just there's the scene when um let me just find it but when you know the the young lads on the beach are hiding out in the ship um the sort of the what what would you call it like it's just stranded on the beach sort of wait they're waiting for the tide to come take it it's Um, i think it's a it is a military ship it's a dutch military ship yeah the dutch guy came on the ship i don't know if that was his ship or not but It, it was yeah okay makes sense then they're basically like they're hiding and they're essentially hiding from the enemy and they're the enemy is shooting at the ship for target practice and as the wave comes in this is again like one of the te- this like the slow tension building like the fuel running out the the water starts to seep through the holes of the ship and it doesn't happen immediately but like it builds to the fact that eventually the ship will uh the ship will drown or sink mm-hmm. and they have to think of a situation out of this and you have enough time with them going through that it doesn't happen immediately but eventually that builds up to the parallel point in the movie where um i believe um talk about the french kid right no it was it was um it was um the the pilot if I'm not mistaken, he's trying to escape his oh, ship that yeah, just crashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. His oh, and pilot, he's yeah. sinking. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, Tom Hardy's co- not co-pilot, but the his, second fighter pilot yeah, yeah. who's in the air when he's going down. And now you see his point of view of the story. Um, the water is sort of, you know, capsizing his ship now or his um. His uh, fighter pilot, her, his fighter jet, mm-hmm. and Spitfire, Spitfire, and um, just the the both of those moments sort of playing closely together. You get the enforced like constant motif in this film is like just like water as also an enemy. Just the the English Channel being a son of a bitch in this movie, just like the Germans. You know, uh, people are drowning, people are fucking ships are just getting sunken all over the place and like water is as much of a threat as the germans essentially like it's no friend so they're they have to conquer it these these fishermen are conquering it but you know the risk of him drowning is very real and like he's not able to get out and that sort of being cross-cut with 
the young lad's about to drown. It's just, it just builds and builds and builds. And like, that's matched with the score to also build those moments up together. And I, did, I forget. Yeah, that, you're right. I did notice like, um, cross cutting happens throughout the movie then, but the in, whole movie is a cross cut essentially yeah, yeah. in areas of high tension mm-hmm. or when he wants you to feel uh, anxiety or yeah, that's the like majority of the feeling that he wants you to feel. He speeds up the 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 tempo the, tempo uh, the rhythm the yeah yeah um, but and and it's it's sort of anchored always towards um an idea which i love it's not like like i said like this movie is constantly cross-cutting in other films of his like inception does it for sure um to build up tension and just connect stories points but cross-cutting is used and in this film like when you mentioned um at certain points it, it ramps up it's based around the idea of a threat for like the 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 just survival maybe like maybe that's the theme like that is the theme of the movie but that's like the constant theme it's kind of pulling back on is like these men are just trying to survive and like that's what we're here to see it's like the le- the the situations these guys are just in are it's incredible you know the, um, um, so yeah we feel that fear the ingenuity to escape these bad situations and then the triumph once it occurs is like it, the yes, cornerstone well of like what drives me through this movie and what makes me mm-hmm. think this movie is like an effortless watch like th- there's no fat on this movie it, oh yeah for sure it's, it's like perfectly like the runtime is so clean and solid yeah um, when, it, when it was over i was like i couldn't believe it i was like oh yeah. wow they went by so quick because like the way um it's basically just a series of anxiety inducing events where you are presented with a threat, a set of characters, and you just try to watch and see how they're able to escape this. And when mm-hmm. they do, it's like, whew, okay, on to the next. And it's just over and over again. And that sounds yeah. really stressful. And it would be if it not for like that triumphant patriotism that just shines through in certain areas where you're like, fuck, I shed a tear watching this movie for the yeah. second time. Yeah. It's crazy. You said it well. I think the, the like you feel the anxiety that builds to the triumphant moments, which you also feel like as it, as like the sort of conflict crescendos to a to a pinpoint. Uh, it, there's sort of like a levity right at the end where like they just made it out by like the scrape of a fingernail, or like you know when um, another moment of cross cutting is when um, on the on the mole when Kenneth Branagh's character you know, thinks he's, they're basically in the clear, like, the one last enemy spitfighter is barreling down for them, head, like, head on towards him, and he thinks, like, this is the end, um, just closes his eyes and sort of, like, is ready to accept his, his defeat or his death, um, that's when Tom Hardy sort of swoops in for his, like, fifth fucking roundabout kill, and, um, yeah, takes down the pilot, and, like, that's sort of cross-cut with, um, the, the what, what's the name uh mr dawson and his son after they rescued the the, the soldiers in the water mm-hmm. um same situation with them another fighter plane uh, another enemy spitfighter is barreling head on towards them um preparing to fight uh fire and just like you said through the ingenuity of these people like he is calculating like the approach of his angle you know ready to like make the slightest turn and um and just like barely gets out of it with like i don't even know how that even made sense but um yeah it just it's just 
I, I in my first viewing of this movie, I can see where people like could find the editing maybe confusing, and like it's important to like realize like not all the events are happening in parallel. Like those two moments where the Spitfighters are barreling down towards you know our heroes um, are not the same Spitfighters, but it almost makes you feel like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it like it it's and that's I wouldn't even call that a fault to this movie because I think like just in rewatches that that element becomes more clear, but yeah. And like, I don't know, maybe, you know, cause we're in, in this series, we're sort of talking about Nolanisms and like traits of Nolan films. And I'm finding this as a trait of his where, you know, rewatches always serve to strengthen his films yeah. and, you know, 100%. like highly, highly strengthen it. Like in a first viewing, it, it's sort of like, you know, this happened with tenant, but it almost feels like you're too dumb to fully like swallow the pill that, you've just been given mm-hmm. uh, you get a surface level scrape of like you know a visual uh spectacle a an emotional ride like whatever but in those rewatches you really dig into into what like his what he's trying to tell what he's trying to do yeah and how all the elements of like filmmaking and cinema come together and how he like really successfully does it like you know filmmakers try to do it but he really fucking does it at, at least with this movie he like hits the nail perfectly on the head on every cinematic corner. The way, you know? uh, the way I look at it is like Chris Nolan is like a god of his, of his, of the worlds he creates. And after you watch his movies, he opens up the gates of heaven to you and you can just, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was can, put that on a shirt. <laughs> uh, you can just really appreciate it. Like on multiple rewatches. I like, like when I remember when I first watched this movie, I was like confused as hell. Um, the yeah. aha moment was great, um, and you'd think that on subsequent rewatches, like the lack of the aha moment would like be a detriment to your enjoyment because that aha moment is actually strong every single time. But no, because you realize he leaves like little ahas sprinkled in everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Um, going back and rewatching to the details. This, yeah, going back and rewatching this movie. Like I'm just watching through the scenes. I'm like, oh wait, that's that thing that happens earlier and we see that and that's we actually know it's fate before they actually um yeah get into the situation which also then ramps up the anxiety even more if you're able to to identify that so it's like his movies constantly reward um his movies reward uh, closer looks yeah. so that's something i appreciate and it keeps me engaged so constantly yeah there's there's like constant i think like built through the tension and um you know it's a weird it's a weird way to call this a character driven film but i think that's what it is you know even though characters aren't central like the central emotional element to this and sometimes maybe they are you know you can argue but uh it's characters that are driving the tension the drama um them coming into conflict with each other you know you see you see soldiers like coming putting guns to each other in in, like you know high tense moments where everybody's trying to survive and make it out of here and like the fact that the french guy was just french you know was like even though they're allies with the british like it was barely enough for his survival in that situation um and even like just even in the beginning that that sort of um foreshadowed in the beginning by um you see on the on the pier on the deck i guess not the deck the pier um 
the soldier is not letting the French soldiers pass, right? And he's saying, like, no, this is, like, an English ship. Like, everybody's sort of looking out for themselves. Like, as much as they are an army, like, this is an army of men. You know, men can be selfish sometimes and look after their own interests. But sort of, like, the emotional arc could be, like we can also do great things like Mr. Dawson and his son sort of making the trip across, across the English channel um, and George and like putting, putting their lives on the line for, me, for the fellow men, you know, um, it, 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 it shows the duality of that in, in that sense. It shows like really in a spectrum, like, I guess, you know, metaphysically, I guess just like the spectrum of, of men, humans, you know, not many women in this movie, otherwise I'd say women too, but um, actually, I think there's literally no women in this movie. No, there's two nurses from... Uh, two nurses, you're right. Wait, no, there's one nurse, and then there's that one ship. There's another nurse at the end. No, like At the end, there's a ship with like a passing ship with like a, a nurse, possibly, or something. And he's like, where and are you then, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Cunningham, mate. It's yeah. like, yeah, good old biscuits and tea from there. No, that was racist, maybe. Um, but anyways, <laughs> where do we move on from there? <laughs> uh, I think you're completely right. And that's where, like, one of the things I had a problem with in the first feeling was, like, Killian Murphy's character, like, was just such a downer on the movie. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to say he's, like, a dick or an asshole because he's, like, shell-shocked. And that just, like, yeah, it's, like, really a shitty situation. Yeah, I time around. But, like, you're right. When you explain, like, this is, like, the full gradient of the human experience, like, heroicism, um, cowardism, um, mm-hmm. anger, uh love courage courage, all of that yeah um, yeah it's it's everything and it's everything and i think that was kind of like his point it's weird like in these tragic moments you see these tragic historical moments you see what makes us most human Um, yeah and um i think chris nolan understood that and i think he captured it perfectly yeah i see i see this film as in in its in its entirety like if like you think like a painting or a palette of colors in each actor, each character um, is just like a singular color to fill that greater painting. You know, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, yeah, like each, there's a larger palette, but like Killian Murphy, like you said, he's like a slice of that, not a, like a supporting character. Yeah, like everybody's a supporting character to the larger narrative of Dunkirk. The, Dunkirk is the character in this movie. It's like the primary um, focus here. Like what Dunkirk shows of man, humanity, the the different colors of you know all that, whatever. Uh, it's <laughs> no, like a, it's like the the snapshot of an event is right. Just and and you could argue that you could do these for multiple scenarios throughout any war. Just having a snapshot of some significant event that happened you can get the full spectrum of the human experience. And um, with this, it just so happens to be like a very touching story about um, helping your fellow man out in a time of need, um, Mm -hmm. hope when there is none, um, and triumph through the fellowship of man. Yeah. And and yeah, like pretty much. Um, This is like, and this is, I think, the only Chris Nolan film um, to get nominated for a best picture and I'm like I'm looking at this that year's uh, nominees and I'm, I'm like upset now in in hindsight like why didn't this movie why didn't Chris Nolan win man why didn't he get that award even though it's so superficial but like 
I'm I almost want this movie to be his like it, it might be his magnum opus. It might be his like actual greatest film. I, I as much as I want to see another, you know, we we've, we've said this a bunch to each other that like his next film we kind of hope is in the style of a Dunkirk where it's like not necessarily like a full sci-fi spectacle like as much as I would love that too. Don't get me wrong, Chris Nolan, if you listen to our show, do literally anything and I'll buy five tickets for that. Literally. Um but Chris yeah, Nolan, like our our like our own kind of yeah. Videotape yourself. What's your message? He's, he's definitely listening. But and I will go and watch it. I will pay to watch. Hey, hey man, if he cross cuts it, if he if it has his cross cutting, I'll watch it too. You know, even if it doesn't have his cross cutting. But no, nah, anyways, One moving minute, away from the shit. Ten minutes, half hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a single shot, single take, and it's like black and white, and that's all. That's all you need. Film noir now, but. But li- right, yeah, like, like I wish, I wish you'd do more of this. Uncon- unrest- un- unrestrained yeah. from the confines so, of sci-fi and Gotham, or and or sort of just like maybe like I don't want to say like this is him taking it seriously. Like I don't want to say that because you know he took Batman serious and made Batman serious. He everything he does, I think he takes it to another level. So I, I like. You know, I, I, this, like, if I'm just thinking in, like, the Oscar realm or, like, the mainstream, uh, like, um, the sort of certifications of, like, a great film, what makes that, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, like, this film sort of comes out in his filmography as just, like, right. the best of Chris Nolan. This is, where, like, where, this is like his think Tenet, only, um, his, like, his Oscar Beatty movie. Yeah, this is only Oscar being me, but this would deserve the Oscar. Like, yeah. you know, as much as I would say, like, The Dark Knight also deserves uh, awards for many things. Like, uh, whatever. Um, this movie, like, when it comes to, like, what is filmmaking, like, to the roots of it. Like, he he's really using all of his knowledge and all of his experience to to tell a movie through filmmaking this. Whereas, like, in, 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 in Tenet, where our problems with that kind of focused on the... Uh, uh, over exposition through dialogue and you know like that's fair like that's the movie he wanted to make in that in that sense but when and the comparison can be made like you know you can some people could say tenant was his encapsulating film that that took many traits of different of past movies and sort of brought them together and was just that all-out chris nolan spectacle and i would say like you know i'm coming back to dunkirk after a couple maybe a year or two a couple years now um a year probably but it's actually like in the themes in the tropes of Chris Nolan's filmmaking like this movie really it's it's that but much quieter (laughs) if that makes sense it's like you got the Hans Zimmer score of course classic Mm -hmm. um just constantly just like coming out of the fucking closet just with the fucking I I know what you mean by like it's uh, just scary it's still but um but yeah Chris Nolan but like instead of if you if you could picture of like i don't know Uh, it's sort of chris nolan's movies done like very pretty if that makes sense like uh, like putting putting like a bow on top of it yeah of the package i was going more for if you could imagine a like um a sonic boom like a a cartoony sonic boom coming out of a, a bat's mouth you know what i mean <laughs> and you can see. I thought it. I was chopped in this, but where is your analogy going? And you can see that how it like it gets wider and wider, and it's just. And a, did you say a bat's mouth? 
I don't know, like, like you an know animal? how, like, in a cartoon, like, you'd see, like, bats or dolphins said, use echolocation? You could have said a jet. Okay. <laughs> I'm so confused, but, You're, yeah. This is this is going somewhere, I swear. Okay. And you could see it, like, it sort of expands and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but you can still kind of make sense of it. This movie yeah. is like that, but it doesn't get bigger. It's just so focused. It's just yeah. so in the zone, and it just hit you with every single sound wave and rather than them sort of missing you over time now you're just getting all of them so yeah well said yeah not really this is sort of <laughs> this is sort of um um yeah i was almost like visualizing something completely off there but like like something way different i'm like this is a weird analogy to describe the movie but this is sort of um what was i about to say uh again i forgot what i was about to say um Okay, where would you rank? Like, I'll, I'll try and get back to what I was thinking there. But where would you rank uh, this film in your filmography rankings? I'm real. Um, this is of tough. Chris Nolan filmography. Of Chris Nolan. Okay. Well. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It would be hard to pinpoint this in like fucking a hundred thousand films, but like, yeah, in the in his filmography, like, and and like, you know, be as critical as you want, but I would say like take every like like not not for the merits that we said like this is oh like so great cinema but like in an enjoyment level in in in, in everything like where would this film be and like re in you know how often would you want to rewatch this movie i think that's another point of this is like this is a how often would people come back this is a yearly watch. a once a year type yeah, of thing yeah 100 yeah, yeah. yeah maybe um, this is number three for me in terms of chris nolan films Nice. Interstellar's number nice. one. Dark Knight's number two. Ooh, yeah. I ooh. I like that. Might be that. Might like be very close to my top three, if not definitely my top five. But um, yeah. Something special about Interstellar, this, man. Oh yeah, I know. I can't wait till we have our Interstellar conversation discussion. Like that would that that's I think also might be my favorite. But if not, probably even Prestige. I'm some like for me. It's like depends what type like. T- side of the bed i wake up on because i could see the prestige like that for me that movie is actual magic trick being pulled off but um but yeah no dunkirk for sure is like i think because of that historical aspect to it it's a movie i would want to come back to and also because it's like it's film school like it it is like such a film education to watch this movie that i would just constantly want to for that reason like if not just watch scenes or moments like Mm -hmm. specific moments like cross-cut moments or stuff like that just to like understand something new about filmmaking or or like chris nolan's style or like just to you know could you like goggle, you oh, goggle my eyes over that worth, color could you fill a semester's mm-hmm. worth of like school content just based off this movie uh in like discussion oh yeah like you could you could create a curriculum off this movie no doubt no doubt and and i could see this movie being like uh taught in film in you know film classes because for many of the reasons we've pointed out like that you, you know there is so many angles of like cinema that are just being hit on a high note in this film that uh yeah if you're like a film student if you're just a if you're a cinephile or if you're somebody that wants to learn more about it this is a movie that you could like just watch the movie talk to people about it try and understand it because you know, like we said, also a first viewing won't give the full justice, but you'd want to like talk to your buddy about like what was 
this movie like what it was confusing at some points the editing was non-linear and somewhat jarring but like what was this story like you know you want to sort of dissect it digest it and spend the long run trying to sort through the details um so yeah like no doubt the this is a i would write an essay on this just for fun <laughs> essays yeah. fun good one i could never but i'll be honest with you like that's i enjoyed that in part of like film school for me was like comparing films or uh tying films to historical kind of events or like his or like okay using history to sort of analyze films and stuff like that and like yeah so i i kind of enjoyed writing essays about films mm-hmm. um and that's what i'm saying like i would in, in that sense like the, whether it's from a historical point of view or the the filmmaking point of view like there's so many ways there's so many fun ways like as weird as that sounds to even me there's fun ways to analyze this movie yeah i guess i never really gave like film essays a chance i never actually wrote a film essay i did still you, did you ever take it like i guess unis don't call it electives but like did you ever take it as a course elective sort of in school no no film i had no. to take one oh, art would, credit liked it. i had to take one art credit and i uh, i did the digital humanities one with you <laughs> That oh yeah yeah we took, we took that was that joke. was a joke of class yeah easy easy pass but like uh yeah you would have enjoyed like pretty much any film class because it, they were like they were such a a fun time to to like discover new movies it's sort of what we're doing here you know like we're not we're actually this podcast is sort of uh moved away from the discovering new movies sort of thing and just sort of we're like recapping on movies we've seen but that's okay but um yeah like that's that's what I enjoyed about my education was that these like disc- the discussions of like learning new things um, and l- watching new films that I likely wouldn't have watched and like how I've connected like the dots of film history, you know, like how films of 1950s and 20s and 30s, like silent films have still gone on to affect and enforce the movies we watch today. Um, so like you see movies today coming on you think like wow these are groundbreaking things or whatever but like everything has been enforced by something in the past um, that can be said with history too um, but anyways not to be overly lecture or anything like that the, this movie is fucking sick and go watch it if you haven't seen it yet absolutely and uh, if you haven't yet go see us on social media uh, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Mythic Morons um, and make sure to give us a rating or a like i don't even know how it works on some of these podcast apps but on whatever you're listening to whether that's apple podcast spotify or google play so again thanks for joining in um this is cheney signing off yeah and uh also just gonna say uh well with wandavision coming closely we've sort of missed out on those discussions but you know we'll 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 recap our thoughts with wandavision when the show comes to an end or when we think it's a worthy discussion to have, I guess. Like right now, we're sort of just like watching it in. <laughs> there it goes. There it is. There it right is. now, but I'm watching yeah, it and I don't want to talk about it. Like, definitely, I'm more active on, or we're more active on Twitter with the Mythic Morons account now. So, um, you know, if if you're watching or the Wandavision, the Wandavision, what am I like, fifty years old? Uh, <laughs> if you're watching Wandavision, enjoying it, or like Cheney's has been conflicting emotions about it, um. Then let us know, like, what's conflicting about? I don't. Are you are you fully or like are you like? Oh, half, I'm pissed. Halfway there. I'm pissed. Okay, so yeah, so we'll get to that uh, in an, in a future episode. But if if you share those feelings or if you share different feelings, like 
definitely want to have that those conversations on Twitter um, or for anything for Dunkirk for other Nolan films or new films that you'd want us to talk about us uh, hit us up on Twitter which is at Mythic Morons and yeah we'll see you on there and signing off peace <laughs>